you go. Wait for it, right? How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. So I was strolling through. I was doing what every uh, U.S. citizen does on a Monday evening. I was strolling through Facebook, and uh, I happened to scroll across this uh, video, and the title was just simply, Wait For It. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll bite the bait. So I went ahead and, and pushed the, the play button, and I sat there and watched something similar to what you just watched. But it was this anticipation, this anticipation of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's the climax going to be, what's the, what's the pivot point going to be. I'm so excited about it. And then it happened, and I was like, okay, I waited five minutes and wasted five minutes of my life for that. But the point is, is that there was some anticipation because we don't like to wait for anything, do we? I mean, we literally don't like to wait for anything. So you get out of here this afternoon, and you head down 6th Avenue, and there's two things that are going to irritate you more than anything else. And these two things are, one, red lights. Am I right? Y'all, I, I don't understand in a city the size of Decatur why we can't get red lights that are sensor red lights. Okay. I mean, the one beside Target, I get stopped at every single time I travel, and nobody's there. I'm like, there's nobody coming out. I should be able to go. It's just red. And the other thing that's going to get you that you're going to be extremely irritated by is people driving in the left lane. Somebody. Y'all, listen, I'm a preacher. And one of the things I struggle most with in life is people who get in the left lane, the passing lane, and don't go passing speed. Are y'all with me? That's the most amens I'll get all day. Y'all, I'm telling you, when you're in the left lane, you should go faster than the speed limit. I'm going to get in trouble for that one, ain't I? There's a cop right now watching saying, "Uh uh-uh. But I think it's interesting as a society, we've become so consumed with instant gratification that we don't like to wait on anything. I mean, they invented something called a microwave where we can get anything we want quick. They got Instapots now. You ain't even got to wait for it to brew all day. It happens instantly. We got Instagram. Anybody remember the old cameras? Like you had to take them to Walmart and wait a week before they came back? And then most of them were blurry or they didn't look good? Well, now you just do it on Instagram. You just pop it up. If you like it, you post it. You ain't even got to show it to just your closest family. All the world can see what you posted. We've got instant potatoes, instant coffee, instant breakfast. We've got instant everything. And listen, then we had this, this great invention here. We don't even have to wait for the morning newspaper to come out. Because I know everything that happened in Decatur and everything that happened in Alabama and everything that happened in this nation and what you had for supper last night, all at my fingertips. Am I right? We have all this stuff. It's instant gratification. And we find it difficult really to wait for anything anymore. See, but our dealings with God, we take on the same mindset. We pray and we ask God, God, I'd love it if you just came to my rescue in this moment, God, if you would take and and you would help me in this moment to overcome 
what I'm facing in this moment, God. And then God doesn't seem to answer, and we begin to grumble and complain at God and say, God, why are you taking so long? Why will you not answer me in this moment? And we become impatient with God. Anybody ever read the book of Habakkuk? <laughs> Once. I had somebody come up to me this morning and said, dude, I've been a Christian a long time. This is like the second or third sermon I've ever heard out of the book of Habakkuk. In fact, we don't even, most of us don't even know who Habakkuk is. We didn't even know that was a book of the Bible. We thought somebody coughed and we were fisting to say, excuse you, right? Habakkuk, right? But it's actually a minor prophet. It's towards the end of the Old Testament and and there's a man named Ron Blue, and he provided a setting for the book of Habakkuk, and it's really relative to what we face today. It says, Habakkuk wrote in a time of international crisis and national corruption, and the nation of Judah was on uh, the verge of destruction in the moment that Habakkuk was written. And so Habakkuk, the minor prophet, pins these words. I'm in Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I'd love it if you looked along with me and followed along. The Bible says this. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Oh cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. That could be something that was written today. That could be something that's, that's so relevant in our day and age that we can look at that and say, man, that could have been penned this morning. Because we see a world around us that is full of perversion. We see a world where justice is perverted. We see a world where uh, greed has taken over and consumed our governments and it consumed our lives. We have this world now where, where we are looking at pending destruction. We look at nuclear crisis that are going on. We look at uh, uh, things like ISIS and, and things like uh, terrorism that come and they plague our everyday lives. And we look at that and we listen to that on the news. And sometimes we want to cry out to God, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Even personally in our own lives sometimes, we have tragedy that strikes. I had two doors down, a neighbor, a young couple, that just two weeks ago lost a six-year-old daughter. Unexpectedly lost a six-year-old daughter. And we see things like that, and we want to take the same stance as Habakkuk and look at God and say, God, why? How long will you let stuff like this go? How long will you allow things like this to happen? How long will you allow evil to come in and to reign? And we want to question God just as Habakkuk did here. And we want to look and say, God, you know what's going on. We trust you, but how long? Judah, where this all took place, was, was in a real mess at this time. There was a king that had been in place named Josiah. And Josiah was a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he ruled rightly over Judah. But when Josiah died, his son who I love his name, but the two sons' names, Jehoahaz. I mean, who has that on their list of names for their kids, right? <laughs> I think we'll call him Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz comes in, and Jehoahaz did okay, but three months into his reign, Egypt came in and overthrew him. And they put in his place the other brother, whose name was Jehoiakim. And so Jehoiakim comes in and takes over, and he is evil. 
And he allows greed to take over and ruin what was a once established good kingdom. So Jehoiakim begins to do things that are perverted. He begins to do things that cause decay and violence and greed and fighting and all these things. And so there's no wonder that Habakkuk looked and looked at God and said, Why? God, how long? How long do we have to wait? How long do we have to allow this sin to abound? How long do we have to allow this this confusion and this chaos to reign in our land? And quite frankly, we we can... see what Habakkuk was saying and we are one with him in that when we pray to God sometimes God why do you allow these things to happen why is it how long will you allow this to go we have in our own land right now corruption we have in our own land where chaos runs in the streets and the church begins to decay and fold back we have perversion in our government we have crime that's soaring we have drugs and divorce and and, and debauchery and all these things that seem to rule and reign in our world. And, and quite frankly, I think all of us at times say, God, how long? God, why are you allowing this? How long will you allow this to go on? A lot of times our prayers are, Lord, please do this. Please heal this. Please act here. Lord, please intervene here. And when God doesn't do it immediately, instantly, we begin to question, God, how long? How long will you allow this to go? How long will you allow this to go on? And how long will you allow this to transpire before you intervene? And sometimes without us even knowing it, God is working all along. And in verse 5, Habakkuk gets an answer from God. It's not one that he wanted, but it's an answer. Look what it says in verse 5. This is God talking back to Habakkuk. The Lord says, look among the nations and see. Wander and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Can I tell y'all something today? We serve as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. We serve a sovereign God, one who is in control, one who orchestrates everything from the first foot that you put on the ground in the morning to the time you lifted in bed and the hours that you're asleep he is in control of every second of that not one thing happens that is not in his control not one thing is a surprise to him not one thing catches him off guard he's in control and he's running this thing he's got it and sometimes it's up to us to just say oh i see what you're doing there i see what you're doing there god I see how you're working this. I see how you're making us into who you would have us to be in this waiting. So there's three things this morning that I want us to see. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Why why do you think it's so hard for us to wait? I've I've struggled um, mightily with this sermon this week. I shared with some people that I went to bed late every night and I woke up early every morning about four o'clock in the morning laying in bed staring at the ceiling because I struggle so mightily with the topic of waiting and not just waiting in our social life or in our everyday walk or in the things that we do but I struggle waiting on God I struggle with that and so this has hit me especially hard and I know that I struggle with these things because when, when I go out in society every day, I find myself being so impatient. Hey, anybody ever been to Walmart? 
One of the great mysteries of this world <laughs> is how 700 people can work at Walmart and they only have two restaurants open. Amen. Am I right? Amen. I mean, y'all, when I go in to buy a pack of gum, I don't want to wait 20 minutes for Aunt Lucille in front of me to process 700 groceries when there's only two restaurants open. And so I become impatient. And most of the time, I think some things in my mind that are not becoming of a pastor. Are y'all with me? I'm just being real with you this morning. I struggle with waiting. I struggle with it primarily for this reason. Because I don't trust God. I don't trust him. What are you saying, preacher? You're, you're a preacher. You're standing up and you're instructing us today. You're giving us a message today and you don't trust God. I'm being honest with you. My impatience with God shows my lack of trust in him. And so there's three things this morning that I just want you to see. And when we are looking at trusting God, there's three things that I want us to see this morning. The first one is that we are to trust his purpose. To trust his purpose. See, realizing why God makes us wait and what he's doing through the waiting is the start of trusting him in all things. We have to understand that he is orchestrating things behind the scene, that he is working a work in our lives, even in the moment and in the midst of waiting. And that's difficult for us to understand, but it's the key to understanding the tension between waiting and the season that you're in. He has promised that everything that he does is for two things, for our good and for his glory. For our good and for his glory. Now let's, let's back up. Let's put it in neutral for a second, and let's think about those two things. God has promised us in his word that there are two things that he is concerned with, and predominantly uh, um, is his purpose for all that he does. They are for our good and his glory. Now, I would say if we trust God as a sovereign God, and we trust him wholly with our lives, that those two things would be reassuring to us. Amen? Those two things would be things that we take confidence in. Those would be two things that would alter the way that we interact with people. It would alter the way that we live our lives every day. If we really believe that everything that God did was for our good and for his glory, it would alter the way that we approach life. But the Bible tells us that that's the case. Look at Romans chapter 8 with me, and you know the scripture I'm going to because it's been taken out of context a bunch of times. But Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, don't miss this, according to my purpose, right? Nope. According to his purpose. And then don't miss this, in verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Notice there that he is not just letting us sit, but he is constantly working in our lives to make a difference. Our waiting is not in vain. He is working something in us. And I want to highlight again, it's not according to your purpose, it's according to His. And how many of us know that God's ways are not our ways? 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so much higher than ours. We can't understand or fathom. He has not given us that ability. Adam and Eve tried to get that. You remember? That didn't work out so well for them. Listen, it is for His purpose. He's doing a work even when we're not sure He's doing anything. There's this process that we go through as believers. When we become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, we begin a process called sanctification, which means that we start to look more and more and more like Jesus as we go through life. The Bible tells us that if you're a veteran Christian and you're still on milk, it uses this analogy of a baby on milk and how a baby is to grow and to be able to eat meat. If you're a veteran Christian, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're still drinking spiritual milk, listen, you need to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You need to begin to lean on Him and develop this this interaction and this relationship with Him where you start to look more and more like Jesus. I know our church is, um, is impacted by fostering and adopting. But have you ever noticed that in an adoption situation that the kids that are adopted start to take on the characteristics and the traits of their parents, of their adopted parents? Have you ever noticed that? Like, we have some situations. I stuck my foot in my mouth just a couple of weeks ago. I do that pretty often. <laughs> but I, um, I was talking to somebody about their kid, and I said, man, she looks just like you. And he said, she's not mine. I said, well, she looks just like you. <laughs> she does. But over time, they begin to look more and more like their leader, their parent. Even in a physical appearance, started to be altered. And that's who we are as believers. We are to become more and more like Jesus. We are to trust the purpose of God in the waiting Not only are we to trust his purpose, but we are also to trust his timing. Oh, that's rough. Oh, it's rough. God, why? Why? Why do I have to wait on this? Habakkuk again, chapter 2. The Lord says this, he said, And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Listen to this. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is the Lord God, Yahweh God talking here. This is not through the minor prophet. This is God talking. And he says, if it seems slow, don't give up on it. Wait for it. Oh, it's so tough for us. But then as we wait, in the moments that we wait, if we live faithfully in those moments, God begins to mold us into who he would have us to be. But see, we get so anxious, we want to walk ahead of God. Oh, you need me to wait? Okay. And we ease on ahead. God says, wait on it. It may seem slow. Hold on, God, I don't like to wait. I want to try to push this a little bit. I think I know the answer here. I think I know what's right. 
I know what to do, and we start to creep ahead of God. But when we do that, we're exercising our right to play God. And we're not allowing Him to be who He is. But we are to wait, and in that waiting, He is using that time to test us and teach us and train us for what lies ahead. We need these periods of sanctification. We need these times where we uh, are faithful to God in the midst of waiting. And he uses them to transform us. Y'all remember Gabe's message a couple of weeks ago when he brought the transformers up? See, God begins to transform us in the midst of waiting. That's him calling right there. He's going to. But that's how he's always worked with his people. That's how he has always worked. So if you think about it, Abraham and Sarah, they had to do what? They had to wait for a son, right? We let Joseph had to wait for a promotion. Moses had to wait to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua waited on the promised land. Ruth waited for a husband. David waited to become king. Elijah waited for rain. Job waited for suffering to end. And Paul waited to get out of prison. But in God's wisdom, in his time, he knew that Abraham and Sarah needed decades to understand that God was enough. And that they could trust in him. Y'all listen. That's one of the things that I struggle with the most. Is in the waiting understanding that God is enough. And I can trust him fully with all the things in my life. Listen, if you're not impacted by that today, please see me after the sermon because I want to know your secret to success. I struggle so mildly with the fact that in the waiting that God is causing me to trust Him and to rely on Him and to understand that He is enough. I get so anxious, man. I get so filled with anxiety. I want to just run ahead. God, God, I know what you want me to do. I really do. I, I know this is the path to take. God, I got this. And I start to inch ahead. And I remember a, a couple of months back where we talked about the lost sheep. And I said, sometimes God has to use that staff with a crook on the end of it. And has to hook us around the neck and yank us back into the fold. Boy, that happens to me more than you know. That's why my neck's so long. He needed lots of space to be able to grab him. But listen, it, it's so difficult for me to wait in the moment. I want to go ahead, but God knew that Abraham and Sarah needed decades to learn it. He knew Joseph needed years of languishing in, in prison and cycling through suffering to learn humility and forgiveness. That's another one that we struggle with. I struggle with. And then y'all just got the whole forgiveness and humility thing down. Y'all do, because nobody raised their hand, right? I know I'm too humble to do that, right? But I struggle with those things. Man, forgiveness is tough for me. Forgiveness is tough for me. You wrong me. It's tough for me to say I forgive you and legitimately mean it. I can say that, hey, bro, don't worry about it. I forgive you. But really, deep down, I'm still harboring some anger and resentment towards that person. And I really struggle with humility. You look at the way I dress and see that I struggle with humility. And then I get reminded of it pretty often from the Hamiltons. And <laughs> it makes me even more humble. 
but I struggle with that. But Joseph needed that. He needed those years of languishing and, and going in and out of, of prison and cycling through the struggling of everyday life in order to be prepared for what God had for him. Moses needed 40 years to learn the leadership qualities to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He needed that time. He couldn't have done it on day one. And God knew that. There was a process of learning and growing and maturing in order for him to get where he needed to go, in order for God to send him where he had prepared for him. But if he would have rushed that and tried to do it on day one, it would have been a miserable fail. Have you ever ran ahead of God? How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out? It doesn't. Generally, it ends in a big, fat failure. Generally, when we try to escalate things on our time and for our purpose, we end up falling flat on our face. And most of the time, we end up looking up and saying, God, you were right. Oh, you were right. I rushed out. I messed it up. We are instructed to trust God's timing. In the time that they're waiting, I want you to notice that those examples that we just gave a minute ago, they weren't just sitting and staring up at the heavens. What do you call someone who this afternoon at a restaurant will come to your table and take your order and bring your drinks? What do you call them? A waiter or a waitress? Why do you call them that? Because they wait on you. Now I would dare say that if they came and they sit down right at the edge of your table and sit there and stared at you like this, for an hour their tip would not be good. Am I right? Your drinks would be empty, your food would be cold, but they would be what we consider waiting, right? But see, the definition of waiting doesn't just mean sitting patiently looking for something to happen. It means actively serving Oh, boy. See, some of us, we use this excuse. Well, I'm waiting on the Lord. Well, while you wait, actively serve. While you wait, actively serve. We love to use Isaiah 40, 31. This is, this is my favorite, out of context scripture. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And we love to use that scripture in our periods and our seasons of waiting, don't we? We love it. Well, I'm waiting on the Lord. I am mounting up with wings of eagles. I'm walking and not fainting. I'm running and I'm not weary. Can I remind you that there are some action verbs in there? We got any English teachers in here? I'm thankful because I want to make sure this is right, what I'm about to say. But I think <laughs> those are action verbs. <laughs> they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. That's action. They shall run. That's action. They shall walk. It's action. 
Listen, while we're waiting, we are to wait. We're to actively serve. We should be serving our, not only our families, but those around us. And then we should be actively praying and seeking God's face for what our next move should be. Can I just tap on your toes just a little bit this morning? In a church this size, there should never be a time when we are void of volunteers. Y'all, listen, never. Never should there be a time. Because as believers, we are called to serve. And that means that we serve locally in the church building and outside of these walls. It's twofold. There should never be a time when we're void of volunteers to serve. Never, because it's our calling. It's what we're called to do. And you may use the excuse, well, pastor, I'm in a season of waiting. Then wait! But wait while you actively serve. You're waiting on God's next step. You're waiting on His direction. You're not sitting idly waiting for His instruction. So finally, we have talked about trusting his purpose, and we've talked about trusting his timing, but I want you to know that this morning, if we trust those two things, he has given us promises, and we're to trust his promises. We're to trust his promises that he has given us. James in chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, and God has promised to those who love him. Are you planning on going to heaven? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't fully understand heaven. I don't, I don't fully know what it's going to look like. I don't fully understand the whole crown thing. I don't understand how those get handed out. I don't understand what credentials there is for for being awarded one. I know that we are to be obedient, and I know that we are to trust, and I know that we are to follow Jesus in all of our ways, and that there is a promised ending to that. There's a climax to that. And I know that we're going to inherit it, but all the details of it, I don't really know. But I know this, that I trust the one who created it. I trust him in what he's prepared. And the Bible says that we have not seen or heard the greatness of where he's prepared. Well, I, I love coming to church on Sundays and worshiping. I, I love it. Love it. I mean, we have the best worship band around. Don't we? I mean, you can clap for that. We do. Don't clap too long. They'll get a big hit. No, listen. We, we have the best worship band around. I listen to some of the songs that we sing here at church by their original Artists, it's not as good as what we have here. I'd rather listen to our bunch. I would. And I love coming in here on Sunday morning. And I love standing right over there. And I love worshiping. But y'all, that is not even close to what we're going to experience in glory. The Bible tells us that. No eyes seen. No ears heard. All the great things that I prepare for you. I'm excited about that. I am excited about that because I can tell you this, that if it's even, if what we do here is even remotely close 
it's going to be a good time. And all the things that we've done here are going to fail in comparison to what we do there. But we have to trust his promises, even in our weaknesses. As we wait, we have to trust his promises. I'll give you this passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're going to be familiar with it, but this is Paul writing here. And Paul says this. Paul says, though if I should wish to boast. Now, if you go on and read this here, Paul is, is boasting a little. He's saying, if I should wish to boast, I could. That's what he's saying. I wouldn't be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one can think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, come on, y'all, don't miss this, okay? This is important, important stuff right here. I could boast, but I won't, because I want people to see in me and hear of me that I am like Jesus. He goes on to say this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. I love that. Paul, he, he throws in a little bit of boasting there. Y'all get that? He's like a boast. I won't do it though. But because of the great understanding that I have, the Lord has given me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, all right? We don't know what that is. There's a lot of speculation out there that it was his eyesight. There's speculation that he had a skin disease. There's speculation that he was feeble and not strong. But nobody really knows what it is. But one thing is for sure that it was uncomfortable. Whatever it was was uncomfortable. And Paul says here, I have pleaded with God. That he would take it from me. Y'all ever just, I, I've admitted to you this morning that I struggle with patience. I struggle with waiting. It is one of the greatest struggles that I have. If you don't believe me, you ask my wife. It's one of the greatest struggles I have is waiting. It's my thorn in the flesh. And you know that I have prayed continuously for the time I've been a believer. The time I've been a Christian, I have prayed, God, will you help me with my patience? I want to be more patient. And here Paul says, I have a lot of great knowledge. It really surpasses most of y'all. But to keep me from boasting, I have a thorn in the flesh. And I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But if y'all don't get anything else, Get this. The Bible goes on to say, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses. My insults, my hardships, my persecutions, my calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong because of him in me. In the waiting moments. In the times when we're unsure. In the impatience. If we can boast in that. Because in those moments when we are weak, we know that God has proven himself strong time and time again. 
when it gets tough to wait, our safety net is grace. Our safety net is grace. I love this quote. God's grace will help you persevere through the waiting and will abound when you don't wait well. Can, can I read that again? Because that would have gotten some more amens if you'd have understood it. God's grace will help you persevere through the waiting and will abound when you don't wait well. Come on. It will abound. Y'all know what that means? That means it will come on strong. When you don't wait well. I don't wait well. But I've seen God's faithfulness and his grace time and time and time and time and time again in my life. Because in the waiting I struggle. But in that weakness he is strong. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Even during the long road sometimes of waiting and silence in our lives where we don't hear from God and we don't get the answers that we think we are to be getting even in those moments we need to understand that God cares so deeply for us he is working in our lives and orchestrating our lives so that we become more like him the psalmist David prayed this and said this wait for the Lord be strong be courageous, take courage, wait for Him. Can my encouragement to you today be this? That God knows what we need. He knows more about what you need than you do. He knows more about the intricacies of our lives and the details of our lives. You know why? Because He made us. And he knows what we need. And so in that, we have to trust him. And it's so important for us to trust his purpose, to trust his timing, and to trust his promises. So today, as we struggle through the waiting, and we look with great anticipation to what's to come, can I ask you this morning to depend wholeheartedly on his grace? Let me pray for us. God, I am acutely aware in this moment of my insufficiency to do anything that you have called me to do. God, I struggle so mightily with waiting. God, I'm impatient. I want to rush ahead, but God, I take comfort this morning in the fact that you are perfect in all of your ways. And in the midst of my waiting and my impatience and my running ahead, God, you have assured me through your word that your purpose and your promises and your timing are perfect. And my responsibility is to wait on you. Not to sit idly, to stare up at you, God, but to actively serve and to wait for the next steps that you are directing us to. And so today I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you in all things. God, to trust 
your purpose, to trust your timing, to trust your promises, and to be sure that through this process, through this road of life, God, that you are molding us and making us into who you have called us to be. So I ask that you would help us in these moments of of waiting, God, to rely wholeheartedly on your grace. And to even in those moments of weakness, when your grace proves so strong and so mighty in those moments, and to be enough, we help us to trust that. And to throw ourselves at your feet, at your mercy, and say, God, all I have is yours. So this morning, I ask as we take a time of reflection that you would move and stir our hearts to be more like you. You would move and you would stir change in us this morning. And God, those things that we struggle with, you are more than capable of holding and correcting and instructing us in. And so I pray now you would do a mighty work in our midst as we reflect on this time. In Jesus' name.